Turn then in your Bibles to John 15. We've gone through seven. This is the eighth of the I am statements. I should have warned you ahead of time. Any of you able to give us a list of the eight I am statements? Well, let me remind you then, good to try and remember them. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, In chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Also in chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. And in chapter 10, you've got the allegory of the shepherd, and Jesus says, I am the door. Uh, Also, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here this morning, uh, we come to the last of those. I am the true vine. Now, this one is unique in that it demands the inclusion of the Lord's people. Why do I say that? Well, in the others, uh, there's obviously a relationship. If Jesus is the bread of life, then uh, we need to eat it, need to consume that bread. Uh, If he's the light of the world, uh, we need him to shine in our hearts. Uh, If he's the great I am, we need to worship him, bow before him as uh, God Almighty and so on, but all of those uh, allegories and uh, statements there. There's a relationship, uh, but this one includes believers uh, because the vine includes the branches who are believers. So there's the uh, difference uh, there, and we'll see that as we go through. Now, perhaps a preliminary question, why, why does he introduce the vine here? Why well, he's been talking about the Holy Spirit and going back to heaven and he suddenly says, I am the true vine. Well, notice the very last phrase in chapter 14. He says, rise, let us go from here. Now, there are some commentators who say, well, they didn't really leave the upper room, they just stayed there, but why would that phrase be there? It would be meaningless uh, if they didn't actually move. So it seems... In the middle of this address, which goes really at the end of chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, they moved. Jesus said, well, let's uh, let's, uh, rise, let's leave here. And we know they went from there to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know it was night. Uh, It was Passover time, so it would be full moon. Uh, So as they walked down to the Garden of Gethsemane, it would be beautiful to walk in bright Moonlight, they would be passing vineyards without uh, doubt there. And uh, Jesus makes this uh, comment, I am the true vine. Now why the true vine? If you say the true vine, it really implies that there are some vines that may be not true, not genuine uh, there. Well, there's a comparison, isn't there? Uh, I'm the true vine. There's another vine which is not very true. And the comparison he's making is not with a natural vine, but with the people of Israel. Uh, Let me read to you from Psalm 80, uh, verse 8, we read, uh, You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and filled the land. This vine was Israel. God brought them out of Egypt, planted them in the promised land, 
Um, but they were not a very fruitful vine. They were unfruitful. They brought forth wild grapes, as some of the uh, scriptures. Uh, they were very unfruitful as far as uh, serving the Lord and being glorifying uh, to him. Jesus is God's true vine, the fruitful vine uh, there. But the vine is more than Jesus, because if it was just Jesus, it would need no cultivation, wouldn't it? it wouldn't need pruning if it was just the Lord. Uh, so this vine includes both Jesus and his disciples, the branches there, and uh, it needs some pruning. Uh, it needs some, uh, some cultivation. So the Lord is seen in union with his people. You can see that in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So there is a relationship between the Lord Jesus and his people, an organic union between Jesus and his people, his believers. We're, we're joined to him. We're part of him. And that little word that's used so much in the New Testament, especially by the Apostle Paul, we are in him. There's that vital union of believers with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a blessed and privileged relationship that we have. I trust we appreciate that. We're joined to Christ. We're one with him. We share his life. Uh, how blessed and privileged uh, we are. But it's not a perfect relationship, at least from our uh, point of view. Uh, we need perfecting. And the father here is the, uh, the vine dresser, uh, the, the gardener there who uh, does this uh, pruning and working on the branches and dealing with the different kinds of of branches uh, that are there. Now in the vine there are two kinds of branches. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there are two kinds of branches. First of all, the unfruitful branches. Very simply he says, they're cut off. They're taken away. And in verse 6, uh, he says the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. When you're pruning, you cut off the branches, and you wouldn't sort of pick up each one and burn it. You would wait till you prune that tree, and perhaps the whole area, maybe uh, much of the day. Uh, then you would gather up the branches uh, and, and burn them. So in the allegory, who are the unfruitful branches? Different ideas about this. Uh, some think they are unfruitful Christians. I've heard people teach that sort of thing. They're unfruitful Christians and they need some kind of burning, some kind of purgatory. Uh, now we know Catholics, of course, believe in, uh, in purgatory, uh, dealing with our uh, sins a certain period of time, uh, but uh, there's nothing in Scripture to suggest that kind of thing. Uh, if we are in Christ, if we're true believers, we're given eternal life. Uh, there's no further uh, punishment. We may be chastened in this life, uh, but he's talking about these branches that are cut off. So we utterly dismiss uh, the idea of uh, unfruitful Christians that need some kind of burning, some kind of purgatory. And there are others, of course, who say they were Christians, but they fell. 
And we need to realize, and again, most of you will realize, there are uh, large groups of Christians uh, who say you can be saved today, you can be lost tomorrow, uh, that you can lose your salvation. Um, most Methodists uh, believe that. Salvation Army, Holiness Churches, they uh, generally follow that, uh, that, that view, that uh, Christians can lose their salvation. But when we were looking at Jesus as the shepherd, I am the good shepherd, you get statements such as this in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And if that isn't strong enough uh, security statement, he says, my father has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If we are truly saved, truly justified, nothing can change that. So we utterly dismiss the idea that these unfruitful branches are uh, believers who were uh, once Christians uh, and then they lost their salvation. So who are they? Who are these unfruitful branches well, I believe they are professing Christians. Now, I know he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, this is a matter of appearance. And this is a principle we need to see from the New Testament that not everyone who professes faith is genuine. I mean, that's true of, of faith itself. Uh, in John 2, 23, we read, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Believers they believed in his name. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And that word entrust is the same one really. It's saying they believed in him but he didn't believe in them. In other words, there was something lacking in their faith. And uh, we get an example of that with Nicodemus. who comes to us if we know you're a teacher come from God. No one could do these miracles you're doing unless God was with him. But Nicodemus, of course, shows his uh, ignorance of the nature of the gospel and seems through the Lord's teaching he did eventually come to a knowledge of the gospel. You get the same thing in John 8. John 8, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the usual word for believing. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So they begin to quibble with what he's teaching. And by the end of the chapter, uh, they're attempting to stone him to death. Uh, so we have to ask, what kind of faith is that? Uh, we realize that there are those who profess faith, their faith may not be genuine. There is what is often referred to as a visible church, which consists of those who truly believe and those who do not believe. Uh, and we're not infallible. We do not know who those are. It takes a while to give clear demonstration of genuine faith. You see it in several parables. Parable of the virgins. Five wise virgins, five 
foolish virgins, they all seem to be waiting for the bridegroom. But we realize that some didn't have any oil, didn't have the Holy Spirit with them, and eventually they were shut out. You see it in the parable of the talents. Some given ten, some five, and they prospered. They multiplied their uh, talents, what was given to them. But you remember the person with one buried it. Again, he was cast out, out of darkness. Clearly not a genuine believer. You see it in the parable of the tares. So the wheat was sown and then tares were shown, sown. And uh, it couldn't uproot them early uh, because they might have taken to, to the genuine uh, plants out too. So uh, there's a fairly consistent picture in the New Testament of a visible church which consists of genuine believers and those who are not genuine. Now what's the lesson in this? I think it's a very clear one and a very solemn one. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is genuine. Professing to be a Christian doesn't make you one. Claiming to believe in Christ does not secure you a place in glory. Yes, it is a solemn one, but it's very clear in the Word of God. We'll see more as we uh, go along. To put it in the words of Jesus, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father. So yes, we get professing believers who are not genuine. Those who seem for a while to be genuine in their faith, who eventually prove that their faith was not genuine. That's what's set forth here in these unfruitful branches. So we need to examine our hearts, don't we? Paul says, examine yourselves. See whether you are in the faith. We don't want to create unnecessary doubts in people. And I know there are some with that temperament. They're always doubting their salvation. always seem to be lacking uh, in assurance. Uh, But the fact is, there are those who are uh, very confident that they're okay, their lives don't necessarily match up. And we do need to examine our hearts. And oh, Is my faith genuine? Do I really know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have that personal relationship with the Savior? Is that demonstrated in the way that I be- behave? Well, let's look at the fruitful branches. They also get the knife. But the pruning is done for a very different reason. Unfruitful branches are cut out and burned. But in pruning, you cut off part of the branch uh, in order to make it more fruitful. You see that in verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. You cut out unnecessary growth, deformed growth, diseased growth in order that fruit might be forthcoming. You take something away uh, to put something in its place, fruit. So fruitless branches are false Christians, profess, maybe they seem to be for a while, but there's no fruit in their lives. Other branches are real Christians. They bear fruit. But the vine dresser wants them to be more fruitful. And let's look for a a little closer at the matter of bearing fruit. 
Let's note first the nature of fruit. What is this fruit upon which everything hinges? Uh, Without it, the branches are cut out, cast away, and burned. With it, there's blessing, there's uh, salvation, there's eternal life. Well, it's the evidence of divine life. The indication there that there's a a genuine uh, work of God in our lives that makes us different. Fruit identifies the tree, doesn't it? If you're walking along, you see a bunch of grapes hanging there, you know it's a vine. If you see some apples, well, you know it's an apple tree. And when you see Christian fruit, you demonstrate behavior that shows that we are Christians. The tree is known by its fruit. Christ-like behavior comes from Christian character. If we are true believers, we're like Christ. Again, come back to verse 8. By this my Father's glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. They will display the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. Uh, when there's a, a genuine relationship with the Lord, uh, then there's that fruit. Uh, it's not perfect. Uh, always do better. Uh, but there is that fruit that indicates the genuineness of our relationship with the Lord. Now you could say the ultimate in fruit bearing is reproducing Christ in another. That is uh, soul winning. Uh, and that is uh, perhaps true. Uh, But it's far more than that, because fruit should be shown all the time. Even if the Lord has seen fit to bless your efforts at witness, uh, that doesn't happen continuously. Uh, But living a Christian life should be a continuous demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. Our deeds, our words, our thoughts should be controlled by the Spirit. Christian faith makes a difference to the way we live. If it doesn't, it's not genuine. It's as simple as that. If your faith, and I can put that in quotes, if your faith doesn't make you different, doesn't make you godly, doesn't make you Christ-like, it's not genuine faith. So, that's the nature of fruit, divine character. Let's note then the need of fruit. Our Father as a heavenly vine dresser is always looking for fruit. And when he sees it, he prunes the branch. In the vineyard, the worker knows which branches are healthy and will bear fruit, and uh, he prunes them appropriately. And our Father knows which branches will be fruitful, and he prunes. But the point is clear. He wants more fruit. He wants maximum yield from our lives. Uh, There's a sense in which he's never satisfied. To be sure, we're accepted in Christ. We seem perfect in our Savior. Uh, But even though we are blessed, uh, there are failures. And the Lord wants us to do better. Always wants us to do better. That's true with our own children, isn't it? We, We love them, but we would like them to see be a little bit better, perhaps a little bit more respectful at times, uh, a little more diligent in cleaning up their rooms, uh, a little more 
consistent in their uh, lives and whatever they do around the, uh, the home. We, we want to see them to do a little better. We love them. Uh, they're accepted. They're loved, whatever they do. But we'd like to see a little improvement there. And we need to have that outlook with our own spiritual progress. We're satisfied with Christ and all that he's done for us. Uh, we uh, rejoice in the work of the Lord, God's work of grace, but we're never satisfied with our own holiness or spiritual progress. Now you see this in the New Testament. In fact, we were talking about this on Wednesday. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He says, we rejoice. You're showing in your lives the evidence of following the Lord, but we want you to do it more and more. And then later in that same chapter, verse 9, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. be a good motto for each day, wouldn't it? More and more. Each day we should be more and more holy, more and more obedient to the Lord, more and more like our Saviour. Always that longing for spiritual growth. One of the great dangers of us as Christians uh, is we get satisfied with where we are. We get complacent. We say, well, I've trusted in Christ, I know I'm going to heaven, uh, and we just settle down and are satisfied with that. But no, the Lord wants us to be more and more fruitful. He wants us to bear more fruit. He wants us to be more like his dear son, more obedient to him. So may God help us uh, to do that. We need to ask ourselves, are we satisfied with our spiritual life? Do you feel that you're as holy as you should be? As faithful in serving the Lord as you ought to be? Surely if we're honest and genuine, we have to say, no, we're not what we ought to be. We long to do better. We want to do more and more become increasingly pleasing to the Lord. Well, thirdly under this head, what's the means of bearing fruit? Well, two main things. The first is the, the pruning, the cleansing. In verse 3, he said, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The word he uses for pruning, the word he uses for clean, are the same word. Uh, if we're believers, we're, we're clean, uh, we're forgiven. But we need to keep clean. Uh, we need to walk closely with the Lord. We get defiled. Our thoughts turn toward the world. We see ads and, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have one of those? And we uh, get covetous, perhaps, of the things of this uh, world. Uh, we get defiled and uh, worldly in our uh, thinking, But the Father has his ways of keeping us fruitful 
And sometimes it hurts. The pruning knife is sharp. And the Lord at times sees fit to bring us through trials that are painful. Uh, They are very uh, difficult. Um, He uses these trials. Malachi uses a different figure. Uh, He talks about the refining fire. Uh, There, uh, in those days, of course, uh, if you want to pure gold or silver, uh, then uh, you would put it through the refining fire. Uh, Silver and uh, gold were sometimes contaminated with with base metals, uh, iron, tin, things like that. And uh, when you melted them, uh, then the base metals, they're always lighter, uh, would rise to the surface and could be uh, skimmed off and uh, removed and the metal would be uh, pure. So that's the picture. These days, of course, they use uh, electrolytic processes, but uh, that's the way they did it uh, in the old days, purifying through refining fire. Uh, and the Lord purifies us in that way, puts us through difficult circumstances. And uh, trials have a way of cutting away unwanted growth. For example, worldliness under trials and suffering Uh, The world doesn't seem nearly as important, does it? Uh, Possessions don't have the same place. Uh, And as you get older and as you go through trials, uh, the things of this world are not so important, and so they should be uh, in our lives. Uh, And we should look at trials in that light. It is our Heavenly Father pruning us to make us fruitful. We ought to thank God for the trials we go through. Uh, No one likes trials. We're not masochists, are we? Uh, But we should be able uh, to say, well, God is sovereign. He's chosen to bring this trial uh, upon us, uh, and therefore we thank God. Uh, We don't know always how he's going to purify us, how things will uh, work out, but we know he does use it for our good. The second means of bearing fruit is remaining in Christ. Verse 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We continue in Christ. We stay where we are. Uh, There's always a tendency to to drift, to deteriorate. Uh, We speak of uh, the natural law of entropy, uh, things tend to, to go downhill. Uh, you may buy a new car. It's uh, shiny, beautiful, not a mark upon it. The inside, you that smell of the, the, the showroom there. After five years, uh, you can guarantee it's going to have a few scratches, a few dents, maybe some stains on the seats there. Uh, they deteriorate. You buy nice new clothes. Oh, how smart they are. But a couple of years later, they're looking a bit tatty, aren't they? Uh, They deteriorate. Same with food. Uh, There. And the spiritual life is the same. Uh, Left to ourselves, we're going to drift away from Christ. We're going to backslide. However uh, gentle it may be, however gradual it may be, Uh, Unless we keep close to the Lord, we're going to go downhill spiritually. That is so important. In fact, we can say that unless we remain in Christ, we are doomed. Uh, You 
may cut off a branch, uh, put it in water, it may flourish for a bit, but it, it withers. It needs to remain in the vine. And I say, unless we remain in Christ, we are doomed. There's no hope apart from him, we see in verses 5 and 6. Now you may say, well, wait a minute. A true believer can't be lost. You've already told us that once. That's true. Uh, but perseverance requires means. And one of those means is that we continue in Christ, that we make progress in the Christian life. And there are many verses there. Some people don't like them. They try and explain them away, but I think they're very clear. Hebrews 3, 6, for example. Christ is faithful over God's, God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. He doesn't say we're his house if we made that profession of faith. He says, no, we must continue steadfastly in the faith to demonstrate we belong to God's house. You've got a similar thing in verse 14 of Hebrews 3. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Perseverance is necessary. Continuing in the faith uh, is vital uh, to us and we need to uh, face up to that. There's that balance. We have that assurance of the grace of God, assurance of forgiveness, the work of Christ, but we need to persevere. There are those who seem to be uh, genuine Christians today that may well wither and fall away and eventually lose interest. Sadly, I've seen even pastors that seem fruitful, godly pastors uh, drift into sin and then eventually deny the faith altogether. You think, well, how could that be? Seems such a, a godly uh, pastor uh, in, in the Lord's work, faithful, used, uh, but it's a reminder to us uh, that we need to take heed, make our calling and election sure to examine ourselves whether or not we are in the faith. We need to abide in Christ. And that means keeping close to him. There's a danger of reducing the Christian life to acts of obedience, isn't it? Well, we must read our Bible, we must pray. But no, we need to abide in Christ. We need that close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so we can just rejoice that we are one with him. He's our saviour. He's our friend. Uh, abiding in Christ is absolutely essential to demonstrate we are true believers. And I say it's our responsibility to make our calling and election sure. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We need to stay in intimate contact with him, to walk with him, commune with him, be obedient to him. Now, of course, to remain in Christ, you must already be in him. You can't stay uh, where you are not. Uh, so when the Lord says, abide in me, uh, clearly the implication is you must be in me. You must be a true believer. So ask yourself again this morning, am I a true believer? Is my Faith, whatever kind of faith I have, is it a faith that will guarantee I get to heaven? Is it a faith that's brought me into an intimate relationship with the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Don't deceive yourself. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. If you're not sure, make sure. Seek the Lord. Be one with him. Trust in him. And then for all of us, seek to bear uh, fruit for his honour and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the true vine. We also thank you that we are the branches. We are joined to him. We are in that vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we would have that assurance that we are indeed in union with Christ. We would not be deceived. We would not be those unfruitful branches that will be eventually cut off and burned. But Lord, we be those that even though we need a lot of pruning, we need that uh, cutting edge of the pruning knife, Lord, that we demonstrate that we are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ through the fruit that we do bear. We pray, Father, for those in our midst who may be unconverted, who do not have that assurance of genuine faith, of a relationship with the Lord that will uh, take them to glory. Father, we pray for them, especially they'd not be deceived, but they will be honest and truly seek to uh, enter into that true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Work, our Father, we pray for their good and for your glory. We pray through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.